Hello, 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 and welcome to a brand new episode of Pot Stilled Live. As always, I am your host, Matt Healy, and tonight I am delighted to be joined by my guest host for the evening, the Prince of Paddy, the Paddy Prince, that is Michael Cowman. Sir, how are you doing? Not too bad, Matt, not too bad. I think delighted is probably a bit of a strong word for you there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much. I, I, I'm touched. I'm touched. I'm not a problem at all. Uh, I am, well, I suppose we're going to have a, a really interesting, nice discussion. I know you're no man to shy away from a good conversation about Irish whiskey. Um, as always, we're going to be talking about uh, the ins and outs of the Irish whiskey news and what's going on in the industry in general. As always, if you are watching back or listening back later, make sure you check out uh, Pot Stilled Live in your podcast. You can catch this episode and any of the future and past episodes uh, if you look up Pot Stilled, Pot Stilled Radio in your favorite. Uh, podcasting app um a few people dropping in the comments i know jamie cotter telling us what a beautiful couple we are a good man jamie appreciate it uh, you're always kind to say it um so michael where in the world are you joining us from a uh, beautiful sunny santry um it was actually a beautiful day here in santry so yeah beautiful beautiful sunny day so just uh, enjoying the weather out here on my balcony earlier on um and i'm currently relaxing with a uh, dunville's 1808 and some ginger ale <laughs> Well, it's a good segue because Dunville's 1808 are episode sponsors for tonight's episode. As you see here, the lovely newly released Dunville's 1808. Um, you're having ginger ale. I actually have it with tonic water here. Um, and this is zesty as all hell. This is from, uh, a really cool combination. I thought it was soda water when I threw it in, which is the usual highball cocked up from the shelf. But uh, Dunville's and tonic, I'm, I'm, I'm going to patent this. This is pretty good. You, you reckon that's their new signature serve? Um I just see Robert there. I thought there would be a robed man. I just want to <clears throat> address that, I guess. I just sometimes feel it's important for people to know that I'm not just um, fancy shirts and good looks. Uh, so occasionally I, I, I do like to not wear the fancy shirts and the robes just so people can, you know, see the knowledge that's behind those fancy shirts and this face. You know, so I, I do think that's important sometimes. <laughs> keep keep them wanting more, Michael. That's what they have to do. Yeah, yeah. Just play hard to get. Exactly. So probably a good moment uh, to drop into the show sponsors for this evening, which is uh, Dunville's 1808, Dunville's Irish Whiskey. As I said, this is the bottle here. Uh, a fantastic new uh, little spiral cut label here on a lovely classic and embossed Dunville's bottle. Um, it's a new blended whiskey with pot still malt and a little bit of grain thrown in there. Uh, but Michael, we were talking a little bit this about this a little bit earlier on. Um, the first whiskey that they've produced up in the lovely Ecknamville distillery uh, that has their own uh, liquid in it. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's really cool. And so Stephen McGuinness, I know he's going to be watching because he was like, I'll... I'll be there to correct you if there's anything wrong. And I know he does like to correct me when I say things wrong. But no, uh, I mean, you worked for uh, Tully in a former life. I currently work for Paddy. So we are no strangers to uh, a blend that has a, a nice variation between postal grain and malt. Um, and in the Dunvilles, in the new 1808, um, it does have some of their own postal. And so postal from the Ecklinville distillery. So Ecklinville, I guess it's eight years now they've been distilling. Um, they've actually been distilling spirit there thereabouts. And this is the first liquid they've released that has some of their own liquid in. So that, I think that is really cool. Stephen referred to it as a modern blend in that it's it's source liquid. There is obviously partially source liquid in it. Um, and then there is some of their own liquid in it as well. So obviously over time, they're going to they're gonna be looking to introduce more stuff and use more of their own liquid going forward. But I think this is a really cool first step. Uh, Doug Gladden dropping in with a few compliments. Two good-looking fellas. I don't know about me, but yeah, maybe Michael. You know, yeah, I mean, generally at least. Uh, Dougie, Dougie must be looking for something for free there. That's that's the only, that's the only explanation. <laughs> must be. Uh, Gareth dropping in the comments saying the eighteen oh eight fab drink at its price, well balanced components. Might have to give that highball a go. I this is kind of a bastard highball, but I I'm enjoying it. Uh, Michael, you were saying uh, earlier on the eighteen oh eight coming in at a price point it was around thirty five, about thirty eight. So at the moment, so uh, for anyone that doesn't know me, um, in the in the day job I work for High Spirits Ireland, and High Spirits Ireland we are now the distributor for Ecklinville and all the Dunville stuff um, in the Republic of Ireland. So we have just literally taken uh, possession of all the liquid and it is going into stores as we speak. So the easiest place to get it at the moment is is Super Value. 
probably in your local supermarket, you just ask them, they'll be able to get it in. Um, and about 38 euro on the shelf. And then, yeah, moving forward, you're going to see it in more places. But that was just the, the first kind of listings we had because we've only taken it in the last few weeks. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, I think we'll be able to uh, sniff that one out a few deals across the country. 38 euro, I mean, that's pretty pretty decent uh, price for that beautifully packaged bottle as well. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's really cool. Like, I love their stuff even before we were we were distributing it. I, I love their stuff. I just think it's really cool. It's old school. It's a real nice nod to the heritage of the brand, which, you know, there is genuine heritage and history there with the brand. Um I kind of I said the first time I saw the the package right so first time I saw the label so if you can read it there it says the spirit of Belfast and um, I was like ah oh, spirit of Belfast that's a bit is it and then again when Jarrett and when McGuinness got their hands on me and they explained to me that no literally Dunville's as a company back in the day they built half of Belfast like you know what I mean as if you go in around in around the city centre there's so many of the old warehouses and stuff that were Dunville's warehouses. And they were genuinely one of the largest whiskey companies in in the world at the time. Um, and they were one of like when they shut down in the kind of early part of the 1900s, they were still profitable. And Irish whiskey was obviously um, in the doldrums at that point, or heading towards the doldrums, and they actually shut down when when it was still profitable. Um, so yeah, it's it's a kind of a, a an interesting story, but it's a class brand to have back and alive and existing. It's it's very cool. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, that's not the only thing they're producing up there. I know that they've got uh, a lot of different products, um, but they have, uh, I'm, I'm hoping sometime soon we're going to be seeing uh, some Ecklandville uh, pots coming out under their own name. I know that you alluded to that they've been distilling, I think, since 2013, one of the, yeah. one of the early boy distillers. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but in relation to uh, what they produce up there, they're also uh very interestingly producing quite a large amount of putching which kind of brings me to my next point that we've we've talked about putching uh, a few times on the show and and it gets more and more relevant i think as as time uh, goes on there seems to be more to talk about um coincidentally i brought this up with you just before the show and you had something at hand which i wasn't expecting um so i don't always have this to hand it's i swear it's wine uh i swear it's just really really clear wine um from so this particular vintage is from the west coast of Ireland. Um, and yeah, it, it just arrived in a package today. Obviously, can't say uh, where it's from, who it's from. It's it's for the Greyhounds. It's for, we rub it into the Greyhounds. Medicinal purposes. Uh, it's for medicinal purposes. Yeah, but it, it, just funny, we were just chatting about it earlier. And this had arrived in. I, I was just trying to see if my Greyhounds would notice the differences between uh, regional variations in homemade poaching. So I had been trying to source a few different bottles of homemade pudging. Um, because, yeah, look, I, I think there's something cool about pudging a bit. I think the, the cool thing about pudging is the it's a little bit of the illicitness. It's a little bit of the mystery behind it. It's a little bit of a, will it make you go blind? Will it not? Um, you know, that that's that's all part of the allure that's there. Well, I mean, you know, you touched on a little bit there. For me, uh, you know, Puchin is a, is a market that I've I've looked at from commercial points of view as well as drinking points of view. And it's one of those things that the two the two places where Puchin sells anything really is Ireland and the United States. And it definitely has an identity or, a, you know, an identity issue in, in the Republic, at least, to being that kind of illicit, blinding drink um, that perhaps it doesn't have in the United States, but it's also a big move to try to get people in the United States to understand what putching is. And then you have to go through the anglicized spelling or the not anglicized spelling. But <laughs> I think, I think, look, we, we have problems with it here anyway, because it's a very difficult thing to try and re-explain the history to people that, to make them understand that it is a, you know, it is a genuine spirit category in and of itself. And it, it is one with a, a really deep uh, heritage as well. Um, like I say, I say, Will it make me global line ingest? Like, you know what I mean? But it's there's an education job to do. And I think the problem is that poaching will always come secondary to Irish whiskey when when it comes to a sales perspective. So the education job, I guess, from our point of view, is first on Irish whiskey, and then somewhere down the line it's going to be poaching because poaching, look, it's it's always going to be a niche product. It's a really nice part of our history and our heritage, but it's always going to be a bit niche, I think, uh, in comparison to, to whiskey, you know, which is just a little bit more easily understood by people. 
Absolutely. But you have the likes of uh, Dave Mulligan in Bar 1661, you know, spearheading the, the international fight that as a B. I know that he's done a great job in, in sharing and helping other people spearhead uh, the Belfast coffee as a putching serve because through through my background working with different liqueurs in in I suppose large multinationals, um, uh, as you alluded to earlier, Michael, with the two of us have worked for different multinational drinks companies. Um, but the you know the one of the big things was that having a liqueur to have a signature serve was the big thing that sold a, a product. Like nobody knew how to drink Jägermeister until you be Jägerbomb. Aperol was in the doldrums until they had the spritz. Um, you know, giving people six options on how to serve something isn't all that helpful because they never know, never know how to drink it. Like I always give the example, you know, how do you, you walk into a bar and you see Drambuie, how do you drink Drambuie? No one knows. Um, whereas when we have the putching element and Dave has really been spearheading that kind of market uh, focus on the Belfast coffee um, to be such a, a fantastic, everyone knows Belfast as an international city. Uh, and to be such a, uh, you know, it's a it's a fantastic drink, but it's also replicatable around the world. You know, you need cold brew, sugar, cream, and and putching, and that you know that's it. That's doable in most every place. Um, but I do love you know walking into bar sixteen sixty one because you tend to order a, an Irish or a Belfast coffee and then figure out what I'm drinking. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you definitely know it's, it's the first thing. No, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's it's. If if Bojin, you know, is going to grow as a as a thing, it's going to be through a Belfast coffee, or it's going to be through, and I think really that it, that is the gateway, and that's how how to get people to drink it. And I'm sure Dave in sixteen bar sixteen sixty one probably sells the most Bojin, like undoubtedly probably sells the most Bojin in the country. Um, and it is just through Belfast coffees because I think it's a nice uh, entry point for people to to get into Bojin, and you know they have the Belfast coffee, they go, oh that's delicious, what's in that? And people and he goes Bojin, and they go, oh. Watching, okay, and I think it's a it's a nice segue to to get interested then from that point. Uh, but no, I, I totally agree with you. I think unless that becomes a, a a thing globally and that that sort of gets pushed out, I think it's going to be really hard to build Pudgy because it's an education job. Like I mean, there's enough of an education job with Irish whiskey to go and explain a whole new type of spirit again. And look, I, I know Pudgy is in a lot of cases a precursor to what, what we would call whiskey not exactly I know some people will fight me on that but like to, to go and explain an entirely new spirits category that people haven't had an experience with before is an entirely new job so it's, it just makes it more difficult well, Dave in Barcelona 61 had a great analogy there I was speaking to him he said you know um, putching in whiskey can be kind of collated to tequila and mezcal and you know Tequila for a long time was your grandfather's drink and, and it's been brought up and given a, a refreshed identity and, and it's cool again. And Mezcal, you know, nobody that sells Mezcal makes Mezcal. It's very much a farm drink uh, that's produced by different, you know, small micro farmers and distillers across, you know, the country, Mexico. And that still is that kind of, you know, it's it's up and coming, but it has the identity issues that perhaps Pucci might have and, and there's kind of, you know, there's collated stories that run kind of in tandem between the two. And I find that a very interesting uh, analogy, to say the least. Um, yeah, and just and just to kind of link it back there, obviously, in case we hadn't mentioned the link there with Ecklenville is, is Bon Puccin is made, um, which is Dave's, is Dave's Puccin. Bon Puccin is made in Ecklenville as well. So there's a really strong link there between uh, Dunville's Ecklenville, Bon, Dave, 1661, all that kind of jazz. Exactly. Um the, we have a, a comment in here saying Putin has the equivalent in the US, which is moonshine, so Americans can easily understand Putin. That's a good point. My my point earlier as to the education piece was perhaps more so on the spelling as well, uh, on the anglicized spelling, depending if you're going export marketing. Um, but uh, that is, is true. It's, a, it's an equatable uh, spirit type and probably has its own identity issues to be dealing with. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we... we, we... We are very familiar in this country. Any student in Ireland is probably familiar with Moonshine because they spent um, many days not going to lectures, sitting at home watching Discovery Channel and watching Moonshiners um, on the Discovery Channel. And that's probably a lot of Irish people's first introduction to the term Moonshine. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm intimately familiar with the process and, and the people who make it, um, if only through Discovery Channel. 
This, I mean, I actually got a message from uh, Jeff Humphreys, one, one of the one of the Irish whiskey fans in Minnesota, um, who yeah. messaged me and said that he was watching Master Distillers, uh, which I then downloaded a VPN to watch an American. Uh, I think it's Hulu. I'm watching it on, um, which is the like three main guys from Moonshiners in like a true Discovery Channel style uh, elimination show. Um, where three distillers come in and make their own moonshine with the same ingredients, and they do it like three different rounds. Uh, it's like uh, whatever that Master Bladesmith show is, or you know, Master uh, any of the cooking. Forged in fire. Forged in fire. It's, man. It's, it is. It is. It is literally a carbon copy of Forged in Fire, like almost to the the dialogue. I'm, I'm failing to see a problem with that. I don't know. I'm not. I know it's great. I loved it, but it's it's the hosts are the moonshiners. Uh, which is the, the, the like main guys from Moonshiners, which is really fantastic. Um, so what you're telling me is we need to set up a show in Ireland that's like Dave Mulligan, Brendan Carty, um, and like someone's uncle from West Clare, uh, just sit, sitting at a at a table just judging people's different different pushing. That's essentially yeah. what you're telling me. Okay. I, I mean, yeah, I'm in. I, I'm in. <laughs> There'll be a lot of uh, a lot of uh, confusing accents going on in that in that, uh, but I like it. Uh, Doug, let us know what you're drinking, Michael. Uh, I'm glad, Doug. I'm glad you asked. Um, so, Doug, today I learned some astonishing facts, uh, courtesy of Stephen McGinnis. So, what I'm drinking is Dunville's 1808, which is the spirit of Belfast, um, mixed with the soft drink of Belfast, which is ginger ale. So, apparently, ginger ale was invented in Belfast. Um, Stephen McGinnis has told me this today, so I'm going to take that as gospel truth. And uh, yeah, so I am drinking. Uh, Dunville's 1808 and ginger ale because it was very warm earlier and some days you just want a long drink you know and Dunville's 1808 is perfect to drink on its own to drink <laughs> on the rocks or to drink on a long drink well, I'm glad to hear that uh, excuse me that you're, you've learned the marketing pitch uh, off by heart <laughs> always, be sell- always be selling Matt always be exactly. selling always. Uh, Robert's come in and said if Hinch uh, do a put called Hinch Hooch and Jamie Cotter from Hinch has said that he's nabbing this for the marketing meeting tomorrow morning. Um, so you heard it here first, Hinch Hooch coming down the lines, uh, <laughs> which uh, which I'm loving. I'm really loving. I, I, I hope I hope there's a free bottle sent his way. Uh, if that does come to pass, that's that's all I'll say. I think that would only be fair. Um, but if we're looking at you know we're saying that the market for uh, pushing is small, you know, globally, Michael. Um, what do you, you know we sit in kind of a little microcosm little bubble thinking that also irish whiskey is kind of the shit hot thing around the world um but i know you were in preparation for this show uh looking up some of the the brands that that dwarf brands alone that dwarf irish whiskey um because you know your, yourself and myself have, have worked abroad selling irish whiskey and you know, Irish whiskey isn't always or even all that often the main thing at the bar. Um, even in close neighbor neighboring countries, never mind far flung places. Yeah, look, I think Irish whiskey often has this problem that it is the Paul Scholes of whiskey, in that, you know, it is people know it is really solid, it's good, but sometimes it's only known for shots. And I think if you go to, to places, do you like that? Like I thought I thought of that one earlier. I thought that was pretty good. Um I thought that was really good. Uh, so yeah, no, look, I think the the problem is, so it, it, when you're in Ireland, it's, it's easy to get these blink, this blinkered view that Irish whiskey is the absolute biggest thing in the world. And I always say this, that when I ask people in Ireland how big Irish whiskey is as a percentage of global whiskey, the figures are mental. They're like 50, 60, 70, 80% of global whiskey. When we're less than 10, like we're about nine, eight, nine, 10%, something in, in that kind of range. Um, and we sell, what am I saying? What did we say, Matt? About 8.2, 8.3 million cases, last guess. Is that, is that something, something around that? Or is that, yeah, it's, it's something eight and a half, something, something like that anyway, right? Um, and that's of Irish whiskey almost as, as a category totally. And then you take something like Johnny Watt, who the hell shoots Irish whiskey? You would be surprised. 80%. Michael, there, this Michael would be surprised. <laughs> uh, 80% of whiskey drank in the US is drank as shots, right? And the US is the largest Irish whiskey market. So therefore it stands to reason that there's quite a lot of people 
who are shooting Irish whiskey. And that's fine. That is absolutely fine. But there's also a point that we need to we need to kind of have a reality check that how are we seeing globally and, and what's the job that we actually have to do in building Irish whiskey as well. So if we take that Irish whiskey is eight and a half million cases, um, so something something to around that figure. Uh, we, we look at Johnny Walker, right, which is the largest Scotch whiskey. Johnny Walker on its own is 18 million cases. So like Johnny Walker on its own is more than double the size of the entire Irish whiskey category, you know? So I think sometimes there's not a huge amount of respect for Canadian... I, um, Canadian, Scottish, American, even Japanese whiskey, I think we all just kind of go, ah, that's awful. And like, that might be your opinion, but there's massive lessons to learn from all these things because we still have to catch these things, these other uh, these other countries and we have to overtake them in terms of our sales before Irish whiskey can really be deemed a success. I mean, very true. You know, I've, I've been lucky enough to travel, uh, you know, extensively enough selling Irish whiskey and the, <laughs> the amount of times that I've ended up drinking, like, you know, crap bourbon in a bar somewhere halfway around the world because they didn't have Irish and I couldn't bring myself to give the Scots more money. Um, <laughs> right, just, just trying to get the lighting right. You know what I mean? Dave, Dave I see Dave is slagging me off about getting sunburned, like, you know, but um, it, it, is a, it is a hazard of the job when you're, when you're this pale. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things around the world that a lot of places, you know, uh, as Arena said in the, in the chat, you know, you, you there's a common deception, misconception that Jemison's all there is. Some places it's, you know, Jemison and Tully or Jemison and Bushmills, and, and that's that's really it. And there isn't that world outside of uh, the blended shots market. And I also hear all the time that, you know, Irish whiskey doesn't have rules and anything can happen. And, you know, scotch is the way to go. And, and I think we're going to see... While we're small, you know, companies like Ecklenville or Cologne or, you know, uh, the likes of the the indie brands that are, are going to, you know, be putting, staking the flag into uh, that premium uh, whiskey. You know, the likes of Louise Mouan in, in JJ Curry or, uh, you know, the guys in Hinch are, are going to be flying those flags um, to showcase that there is that extra uh, premium aspect. But... Then you have the other end of the market, you know, premium doesn't drive volume, and that's where Johnny Walker is walking all over us. It's part of the yeah. fun. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you take you take our brands, like so Jemison. Sorry, I think, yeah, my figure was slightly off. I see Dougie Conan there. Irish whiskey are like Jemison on its own sells about eight million cases. The next biggest brand is Tullamore Jew, which sells about a million cases. After that, it's I think it's proper twelve, is now the third biggest Irish whiskey globally, which is about three, four hundred thousand cases. And then after that, we're down to your Bushmills, your powers, your paddy your your Kilbegans of the world so when we're getting down to the the different the single pot stills the single malts like the, the figures are, are really really small and they're really tiny um whereas you take crown royal canadian whiskey about 7.9 million cases johnny walker 18 million seagram's canadian whiskey about 2 million cases canadian club about 2 million cases jim beam about 10 million cases jack daniels about 13 million cases so these figures will kind of put into perspective should be able to put into perspective a little bit how much we have to grow but the good thing is that all those other brands, they're all, the people drinking those brands are all whiskey drinkers. So we just have to convert those people to, to drink Irish whiskey. And I think that's a really easy thing to say. It's a much harder thing to do because everyone's scrapping for that market share. I mean, bourbon. Well, can I, can I stop there? Well. No, go for it. What, one of the things you said, you know, you're saying they're all drinking that whiskey and, and we have to convert them. And, and, and traditionally, I, I would have agreed with you. But, you know, you mentioned there that uh, Proper 12, at least in the States, is, has shot up to, you know, number three in most in most channels in the U.S. as top-selling Irish whiskey. Um, and one of the things that was most amazing to me was I get very close eye on this because I felt a very interesting kind of microcosm experiment that the Proper 12 consumer wasn't whiskey, weren't whiskey consumers. So one of the, one of the accelerating... Uh, factors of why they were able to grow that base so much was because they we weren't or proper 12 wasn't cannibalizing jemison drinkers or johnny walker drinkers or seagram's drinkers we were cannibalizing vodka drinkers and beer drinkers and people who perhaps had never been in the whiskey category ever and um, and that's that i think was a very interesting prospect which is a probably a blip 
which would be very, yeah. very hard to replicate ever to take people from an entrenched beer drinking, you know, background who've never drank spirits. Now, if 1% of his whatever 200 or 400,000 cases buy a different Irish whiskey, we're up, we're winning. As an industry, we're up. Like that's, that's fantastic. People who have never bought it in general. Um, and Eric over in the, uh, Eric in the comments has asked how many bottles in the case. We're talking about nine liter cases. So two, six packs in the United States, which are 4.5 liters or like two and a bit cases in Europe, which are 4.2. So it's, it's a nine liter case is an interna international metric. Um, and McGuinness is, is uh, showing us the international numbers. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think what it was the state was the states there basically. Um, but yeah, look, yeah, Proper 12. Um, the, the thing about Proper 12 is, yeah, it is, it is a celebrity focused brand and that is going to bring in people, like you're saying, who aren't necessarily Irish whiskey drinkers. If you look at The Rock just launched a tequila last year, um, The Rock's tequila sold, I think it was 200,000 cases, uh, you know, since its launch. And it was one of the fastest selling spirits, spirit launches ever, because it's not people who are into tequila, it's they're into The Rock and they're, they're going to try something like, I really like tequila. I also really like The Rock. If I saw his tequila, would I buy a bottle? Maybe, you know what I mean? Um, so there's certainly an element of that. I think, yeah, the, the, the Conor McGregor thing is a blip. It's un, unrecreatable. And if, if we can maintain those people, that's great. But I, I don't think that's a, that's a model going forward. I don't think we're going to, I was going to say, I don't think we should get, you know, we're going to get Bono and get him to make a whiskey and people are going to follow, but that's actually oh. happening. So, oh, but that's oh. actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Dave Collins has an interesting question. He says, what do you think we need to do as an industry as a whole to educate more people outside of Ireland and a quicker way to do it than what we're doing already? Yeah, look, it, it's difficult because you see, so large Irish whiskey brands is obviously Jemison. You see Jemison are kind of investing ahead in, you know, markets in Asia uh, and these kind of, and, you know, Far East, Africa, whatever. And it's, it's a long building process. I think in the last year, we've actually gained a lot of ground on Scottish whiskey because of the tariffs that were imposed in the US on Scottish whiskey and because of Brexit. Scotland, the Scottish whiskey has essentially lost their last 10 years of growth in the last year because of tariffs and because of, um, because of Brexit. So through, you know, a little bit of dumb luck that we're, we're actually getting closer to, to Scottish whiskey, but what can we do, Dave? I think we're doing the right things already. I think there is a, a conversation we have to have around transparency, like what you're saying, Matt, around rules and regulations and whatnot, that we have to be seen to be being truthful. I think that's probably more important to us, people who are working in the industry or people who are really into it than it is to the mass market consumer. But I definitely think there's there's an element of that to be done. Uh, yeah, and we, we really just have to keep, um, keep pushing and keep building and keep working together as an industry because you see the strength of Scottish whiskey is the strength of, the entire thing like that people go in and they ask for a scotch you know well that, that's the thing and in, in many places scotch is synonymous with the word whiskey um they ask for, uh, the many times i've been in a bar in the united states and heard someone ask for an irish scotch um but uh, for your point again i'm on, on brexit uh, it's been fantastic you know the your the exports i was looking at figures there from the uk uh, of exports from the united kingdom into uh, the EU in just January as a month this year uh, is down 87% on what they did January last year. Now there's skewing figures there. People were stockpiling and whatnot. So it could be looking a little bit greater than it was. But uh, at the moment, uh, there's a load of things. Uh, haulage companies won't ship into or out of the United Kingdom uh, because yeah. of new rulings. A um, lot of different thing, uh, trucks are getting held up in different places with new paperwork. Italy is kind of just doing its own thing on paperwork as well. You can have all, uh, this is amazing. I know a number of different distilleries across Northern Ireland and into the United Kingdom who have had all of the European paperwork, got a truck to Italy for it to be turned around and shipped back to the United Kingdom um, because the Italians have just decided they want different paperwork. And I thought that was an isolated incident and they just seem to just do it. But I mean, Italians are very laissez-faire, so that's fair. Um, but the- uh, I'm sure this like, is an Italian term for that, Matt. I'm sure there is, but I only knew the French term. Anyway, um, but the uh, but for me, I'm picking you know in a professional sense, I'm picking up uh, retail listings and wholesale listings all over Europe, but not because 
I'm doing anything extraordinary, although, you know, to make sure to tell my bosses I am, but uh, people are literally just can't get scotch. Yeah. Like, I, I'm yeah. not joking. Like, they cannot, I've had people who've had orders from October of 2020 who still haven't left the United Kingdom because they can't. And they're sitting on a shelf, they're sitting on empty shelves and they don't just hold on to the empty shelf space. They will fill it and they will likely not get that back. Or on the other side of it, haulage companies are looking for one to two thousand pounds sterling to get a pallet from Scotland or London to the likes of Austria. Um, yeah, I can get a full twenty foot container from Ireland to Australia for two thousand or for <laughs> less than a change in two thousand pounds sterling, um, or even in euro. But uh, it's it's a it's a very big opportunity, I think, in 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 the European market. And that's where, as well, people forget we're getting our asses kicked in Europe just because it's an ingrained Scotch uh, in yeah. you know, market. Germany does great for us. Czech Republic does fantastic for Irish whiskey. But again, we're in the, the lower priced uh, the arenas. France is a dark market. So Paddy kind of rules today, but it's it's price, it's price, 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 you know, as, as low yeah, as they can. Look, I mean, you take you take somewhere like France is the largest single malt market in the world. Like, you know what I mean? So there's there's a huge amount of scope to play with. I think we're doing quite well in places like Poland. I think growth was like sixteen percent of the category in Poland last year, or something like that. Um, but just two points I want to address. Uh, I see Doug getting animated in the comments. Doug, I'm not slagging proper twelve. You're, everyone's what I, like. I think it's great if people are coming into the category and they're staying in the category. That's great, and like that's that's the main thing. But I, I just it's it's an interesting one in that. Are people actually staying in the category? Hopefully they are. Um, so that's one point. The other one I wanted to say was, yeah, I mean, if you look at the growth of Scotch post-prohibition in in uh, in the US, for example, I think the Scottish, based on my understanding, just had their shit together a little bit better than we did uh, for when prohibition ended. They're, they had their shipments ready to go. Everything was a little bit more um, a little bit more together, and they they just got into the market a lot lot quicker than we did, and thus they became ingrained in the the fabric of the United States a little bit better than we did. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a massive opportunity that could be a once-in-a-generation kind of opportunity to get in with these markets now that they literally can't get scotch. That's very true. Um, one of the things I suppose uh, I wanted to touch on as well, the and this ties in where we're going with this, um, that the many people out there will know that the rules on Japanese whiskey have changed, uh, but that has a big impact again on irish whiskey for a number of reasons but one of them is that the that all of the scotch that's being produced that was being funneled to japanese blends and malts and grains has to essentially go somewhere you know distilleries have gone on to triple shift they're producing millions and millions of liters of pure alcohol a year they're not firing people they're not gonna you know lose those efficiencies of scale and while there may be one side of it that any irish whiskey that would have gone to japan is now read more reavailable for Irish brands. We're probably going to see a tumbling of of Scotch prices, which is going to, at least in the medium term, affect at least comparably how affordable Irish whiskey is on the shelf. Matt, every time you ask me to do this show, like, and you you give me topics, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, who's going to be mad at me this time? Or like, who's going to be who's going to be mad at us? But yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people will know in Ireland. I. I, I that there was certainly some Irish whiskey that was being shipped to to Japan um, and being bought as Japanese whiskey, and there was certainly a hell of a lot of Scotch whiskey um, from from one or two very well known distilleries. Uh, well, quite no, quite uh, well known distilleries or distilleries that everybody knew were supplying uh, the Japanese market at the very least. Um, which, due to the new regulations, which are due to come in what April first, twenty twenty three, I think that. Uh, yeah, they can no. They will no longer be able to call it Japanese whiskey if that spirit isn't distilled, uh, distilled and matured in Japan. Uh, so it is a very interesting opportunity. It's going to be a very interesting landscape going forward. But there is a question around, yeah, how much how much whiskey is actually going to come onto the market? Because I mean, two brands, for example, you, you take Tory, Suntory, one of Suntory's brands, five point two million cases. You take Black Nika, yeah, about three point four million cases in terms of Japanese whiskey. So. Right away, there, there's there's two huge brands, which is you know the bones of eight nine million cases of whiskey. That if there was scotch or if there was whiskey from other countries going into them, where's that whiskey now going to go? 
I mean, it, well, that's it. And if it doesn't go anywhere, it's going to go onto the shelves. Um, and already, one of the things that, you know, again, I travel, thankfully, uh, enough pre-COVID to see us on the shelves. And, you know, we're trying to compare Irish whiskey. And people automatically compare whiskey to whiskey. We're not thinking, you know, people just go, oh, it's Scotch whiskey and Irish whiskey are different. It's whiskey and whiskey in most people's eyes. And when we're offering, you know, five-year-old single malts or single grains, at the price of 17-year-old scotches, it, 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 it can be hard in people's minds to justify that. But when we flip that and now suddenly it's the price of 22-year-old malts or, you know, uh, large volume. Sorry, here's my dog. Come here. This is this is what everybody wanted to see, Matt. This is what everyone's here for. So you might as well I show promised, them the dog. I promised Chris Hennessy that I'd have Indy at the beginning, that Indy was on a walk when uh, the show started. Um, and she loves the camera these days, but she's not sitting there. There we go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see I see a couple of people asking about the, the Japanese whiskey rules. Is the change to Japanese whiskey a legal requirement, though? It, is a legal, it will be a legal requirement if they want to label the product as Japanese whiskey. Um, I, I think I'm correct in saying that from, I, from 2023. Michael, I'm there. It's, it's, it's the likes of the... Uh, uh, the likes of... It, essentially, the equivalence of the IWA has voluntarily decided these rules, okay. but, the biggest, but the biggest companies in Japan are a part of uh, this this company or this uh, group of Japanese uh, producers. Yeah. So it's not legal, but it's the, the in very much the Japanese way. We're all doing it, and we will look very unfriendly at you if you don't do it. Um, well, that's it because I think some of the some of the brands are are already posting online whether they they can be classed as Japanese whiskey or not anymore. Because I mean, Nika from the barrel have a, you know if, if there are sites you can look look up that they already have that information posted up there. So that was one, and it's definitely a highly regarded Japanese whiskey that I know a lot of people will will have tasted, will have drank, and that's already technically under the terms of these this new legislation, not a Japanese whiskey. Um, so I think stuff like that is, is going to be very interesting. So Gareth, yeah, not a legal requirement, but yeah, it is um, the weight of, uh, there, there is a weight of pressure there. Um, and I think, like you said, that, that Japanese collective mentality um, might kick in there to a certain extent and that there's a little bit of that kind of regulations around that maybe. Yeah, and, and it's funny because if you look at the laws in Japan, the, the laws in making whiskey in Japan are basically you own, they just have different licenses. They have Nihonshu, which is sake making license, uh, sochu making license, like puchin, and they have whiskey making license and liqueurs licenses or whatever. But if you make one, if you only have one, you can't make the other. Um, but the uh, that was it. That you just had the license, and what you made was then thus whiskey, essentially. Um, although one thing that kind of does my head in just about Japan, this is a relevant point. They pay the duty when they make it. And then if they export it, they claim the duty back. So there's not like bonded warehouses in the sense that we know it, where you yeah. pay the duty when you take it out. So it's like, it's got to be a little bit crippling for the small guys in that industry. Uh, Stephen McGuinness, though, is asking, it's interesting to see how uh, much Japanese changes in terms of flavor. Uh, Northern Ireland is similar in terms of climate, whereas Southern Ireland isn't. Nikki in the North and South and Centauri all in the South. That's a good point. I mean, particularly the the you know the smaller brands or the likes of mars uh you know distilleries which in europe have a mixture of their scotch and japanese and and in, in japan all japanese but a lot of that's going to change and brands that we're used to will probably change altogether i mean look used to is a, is a strong term because how available is is a lot of japanese whiskey in europe anyway you know to, to be able to get your hands on it is is kind of a mission in and of itself it's it's really limited and this is probably going to make it even more limited than it ever was uh going forward so it's probably going to be more difficult to to get your hands on japanese whiskey going forward japanese whiskey whiskey uh going forward now in a few um well i think uh as i said things to look out for is, is is cheaper and older scotch uh or, or cheaper scotch at least on the market perhaps some more readily available Irish whiskey of, of aged proportions, um, but definitely a, a, a changing paradigm in, in the, the Japanese whiskey market. Which is um, like that assistant, man. 
<laughs> it's I, I if someone needs to feed them walk the dog, you know, it's 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 uh, it's a tough yeah, no, look, and I think I think you touched on a point there. I think we are gonna face a problem in terms of pricing when it comes to Irish whiskey. Um I, I think there's probably gonna look at uh, as we now have 40 distilleries. Uh, that was when I checked 20 minutes ago. There's probably 10 distilleries open since then. Uh, so we, we, as more whiskey supply comes onto the market and becomes more available, I imagine prices are, are going to start to, to fall and return to a kind of an equilibrium pricing. Um, but I think we, we are going to have a, a problem when it comes to pricing of Irish whiskey uh, with, with scotch uh, and with these things going forward. I think the tariffs... In the U.S., definitely helped us. It, it brought the the price of Scotch up a little bit, um, but there are, you know, reasonably high prices to pay for for some of the newer distilleries in Ireland. I think that's that's going to be an issue going forward. But I think, look, supply and demand. I think we will hit an equilibrium price over the next couple of years that will make us a little bit more competitive as well. I, I agree, uh, but one of the things as well, like you know, I've been working in the industry uh, in twenty four since twenty fourteen. I don't know when when you entered, Michael, but I know that the likes of Stephen McGuinness is in the chat. You know, he's he was here before I was, and he's he's a he'd have a good metric of the market as well. But when I when I entered the market, I was you know everyone kept talking about this well of well of whiskey that would show up by twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, and Irish whiskey prices would level out, and all the new distilleries would have their own stock and be no one sourcing whiskey, and that well hasn't come. Like the demand has gone up, the supply is equal if not lower no no i'm not i'm agreeing with your point i'm just saying i don't have an estimate of of when that equilibrium is going to come it's, uh, it's five it's six i think it's five six seven years away um i think i think potentially that that's when it's going to be but i think in the intervening time we have to be quite careful um because irish whiskey is not like everybody strolling down here through this chat they they drink irish whiskey we all drink quite premium irish whiskey i'm sure um, but that is not the that is not the image of Irish whiskey globally at all. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of senses, it is um, like someone mentioned earlier. It is it is um, entry level blends, which are perfect, really, really drinkable. But again, some people just see them as entry level brand blends, and they're for shots, and that's it. Um, so when we enter markets, and now we're asking people to pay 70, 80, 90 euros, ninety dollars, whatever it is, for a three, four maybe in a, a five-year-old whiskey, it, it does get a little bit more difficult because when they compare that to what's available in in other uh, categories, it, 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 it may not be as favorable as, as we would like it to be. Absolutely. No, no, bang on, bang on. Um, but when those, uh, you know, releases come out that warrant... Oops. Maybe trying to kick over my ring light. Um, when, when those uh, releases do come out... Um, and I suppose those limited releases and, and you know special expressions come out. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating the fact that you're joining me with the ring light. Um, I wish it was a ring light. It's it's not. It's a it's a lamp. <laughs> you're ruining the illusion, Michael. Um, what's your opinion on the on the limited editions? Are we drinking or are we flipping? Uh, what's you know? It, does it matter? <clears throat> Are people just, buying just, a bottle to sell on just, just a part of the market? Uh, because for me, I'm going to say, just before you jump into it, the Irish whiskey communities online used to be very much about people asking questions about whiskey, and they've very skewed heavily into people asking questions about the value of whiskey. And yeah. I haven't had, seen a uh, heated, raucous debate of the old heads about why, you know, Ecklandville was better than you know old cumber in about three years <laughs> yeah and look it does get pretty tiring uh the same you know because you have nine thousand people asking what the value on a bottle in middleton 2020 or 2021 is um but look any anything that's increasing in market share and in value the way irish whiskey is is going to attract people in whether it's art or whether it's classic cars or whatever whether it's bitcoin Irish whiskey at the moment is, is very like Bitcoin, unfortunately. You know what I mean? The more people that are entering the market, and like we mentioned, there is a scarce supply of, of resources. It's going to drive the price up, and it's going to bring people who see it as an easy way to, to make money. Um, like I, I, you've heard, I've heard the, the anecdotal stories about, you know, 
different lads getting bottles delivered by different delivery drivers or whatever. And the lads are going, oh, what's in the, what's in that? And, um, you know, oh, it's a bottle of whiskey. I bought it for a hundred quid and Asher's probably worth about 200, 300. And delivery drivers are going, geez, I must get into this. And like, you know, I think there is any, anything that's going to, that people see as an easy way to make money. Um, Irish people, look, I'm sure everybody globally, but Irish people, we do have a way of going, oh, there's a, there's a, an extra fiver in it for me. Oh, let's go. Look at our, look at the property bubble. Um, think about how many people you know that owns houses in Bulgaria and apartments in Bulgaria. This is the same thing, Matt. Um, so I think it's, it's very important to, for brands to be custodians over the brands and stuff and be careful about, there's not a whole lot they could do to be honest with you you know what i mean but it, it, it's just we kind of have to have to live with it. it it's just going to be a fact of fact of the market until supply eventually meets demand uh going forward and and the likes of the the red breast in that came out there you know there's you know i have a bottle of manual love sitting behind me which is the 2014 the first birdhouse release but i remember buying two bottles the day it came out and then buying another two bottles about three and a half months after it came out on the exact same portal. Um, and now you have 30 seconds to buy one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I thought that the guys in IDL did a great job with the the Redbreast 10, that there was, you know, there was, there was adequate supply uh, and an adequate, you know, server space and opportunity to buy one. Um, but you do you think that you know there was a big rush for that? I haven't seen a lot of pop on the secondary market because of that. So I don't know if has that by its sheer desire to be available knocked its secondary excitement. No, but like Matt, at the same time, right? That was a hundred quid. We're talking about Redbreast 10. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a hundred quid. All right. If you wanted to buy a bottle, if you wanted to buy a bottle right now, what do you think it would cost you? 150, 170 euro? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's 50% to 70% increase in value without anybody doing anything. Like that's always going to attract clippers. And that's with, I don't know, what was there, eight, 10,000 bottles of that? You know what I mean? So it's a really difficult thing to combat. Like, sure, look at Middleton very rare. Like, there's, there's, you know, there's multiple thousands of bottles of that as well. Uh, Go away, Robert. Uh, <laughs> there's multiple thousands of bottles of that, but the, the price hasn't hasn't come down yet. Look, there's a little bit of hype around it at the moment. Will prices settle out? I think they will eventually, but I, I don't think I, I think this is our, our reality for for time time going forward as well, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, Stephen's dropping into the comments saying the value of whiskey is a great one. He remembers his days in the Celtic Whiskey Shop uh, as they launched Middleton version uh, Oak Single Cask 145. And people call us every uh, Robin Bug under the sun. And sometimes a 19 year old uh, Connemara uh, Sherry Single Cask 95 took three years to sell 600 bottles. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, that, that, that's, that's the thing. I remember, I remember sitting beside um, uh, doing Whiskey Live beside the team from Mitchell's. Uh, and speaking to one of the family members after the, the most, uh, maybe the 20, whatever, 2019 release of Green Spot that sold out in like 45 minutes. And I think it was, it was actually pre-release. They put the, they put the link up too early um, yeah. and, and it, and it oversold and sold out and everything. And they said that the previous Green Spot took like nine, was it five years or nine years to sell through the whole allotment of 400 bottles or something um like uh, that's that's an exaggeration but there was a a very large time discrepancy between uh, the two of those well, well here's the thing man right we're talking about like we've already talked about it tonight about how we want irish whiskey to grow and how far we have to go and you know how, how we wanted to to be the biggest thing in the world if we wanted to be the biggest thing in the world then we have to deal with the fact that these limited releases are going to be sought after by more people and you know the the people like ourselves who are used to having things all our own way and being able to get access to all these things um, are probably going to have to scrap a little bit harder to, to, to actually get them. It's just, yeah. it's look, it, it's a double-edged sword. We want Irish whiskey to be huge. We want to sell a hundred million cases globally. We want to do whatever we want to do, but we also have to accept the fact that as we grow, interest is going to grow, grow in these bottles. And uh, yeah, 
and that that's just how it's going to be. But I think the interest is at a certain price point because we're talking about this. You take something like the 26-year-old green spot that's over in the whiskey exchange. Uh, I think it's about 600, 650 euros, something, something kind of around that, that kind of price point. But I think that might still be available and that went on sale two years ago or it was still available for a long period of time anyway. So I think the interest and the the flipper market or the guys who are, who are buying bottles to flip them, they're buying them in that, at that kind of 100 to maybe 250, well, 50 to 250 kind of level. That's That's where that kind of flipper market is and stuff that comes out above that with rare exceptions such as Dreamcast, um, doesn't tend to attract quite as much attention, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean that makes sense as well. If the if the retailer is is getting the full flipper margin, there's no margin for the flippers, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that either, you know. And um, I know that a number of the distilleries in Ireland who whose secondary bottles were getting massive money also had calls from the revenue saying. We see your bottles going online for four thousand euro a bottle, and uh, we want our moolah. And they go, "That's nothing to do with us. <laughs> we sold it for a hundred and five euro." So, talk to somebody yeah. else. And uh, the revenue will always come knocking, and that is how the revenue work. Uh, it is. And, and I have discovered they have more powers than the guards, which is a scary fact. Uh, <laughs> they can enter your house or business without a warrant, which is terrifying. <laughs> why, why what do you do what are you doing in your house that you're so worried about the revenue bob listen that that bottle of putting didn't come from nowhere and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is a bottle of white wine matt it quite clear or red wine it like clearly says on the front classic claret right there right, right <laughs> over the pudding. um but yeah no um I, I agree with you that there is that kind of sweet spot as well um but I also feel in some ways, you know, the, the likes of, you know, one of, one of the, the old, the older uh, community of Irish cities, uh, you know, the, the likes of the, the beginnings of the, the Pure Pot Still Appreciation Group of Facebook, um, people in there were, were uh, collecting, you know, all of the red breasts when, you know, it was, it was the thing you were collecting generational red breasts down the line. And then you continue it on and then suddenly one red breast is a thousand quid it's a new release but that 1960s you know <laughs> red breast 12 or the 1950s red breast 12 or the 1940s red breast 12 or red breast 10 or whatever it might be didn't cost a third of that you know so there's there's obviously yeah. this there's there's no there's no rhyme or reason there's no sense when you look at the secondary market when you look at the auction market you take something like an mvor 2020 what was it selling for a thousand euro in, in some cases online yeah. and you can probably get a, a 1950s bottle of, of pot still jamison for a thousand euro you know what i mean it's I, I look here look i have a bottle here at burke's uh 1934 uh bow street distillate for the states uh nice bit of evaporation there but if it was full um they go for about 400 euro a bottle yeah. from 1934. Yeah, like it, it, a brand from a distillery that no longer produces it, but you can buy an MVR for a grand. <laughs> but why, Matt? Because the the mass market and the you know the the public at large, um, who are just getting into whiskey and that that's fine, that's great. But they don't know what Burks is. They don't know, you know, the the history of like i don't know like uh, john's lane or something like you know what i mean they, they don't know the history of these places so those particular bottles they it doesn't have any value to them because they don't you know they're not going to be able to sell it and get buy it cheap and sell it off so look absolutely yeah uh we could we could go around on it all night but like i think i see Stephen murray mentioned in the comments there he said look look at bourbon as well and bourbon's the exact same you know that uh, you you have a scarce amount of uh supply and they're going through a very similar thing to what we are now in that there's a lot, a lot of new distilleries who are just um, getting underway, just setting up, just getting their own distillates out in the, in the last couple of years. And like they're seeing a very, very similar thing. Scotland is seeing the exact same thing with the likes of stuff like Daft Mill um, and distillery, distilleries like that, uh, Raze, you know, all, all these kind of all these kind of distilleries. So it is not unique to Irish whiskey. Um, it is it is a, a whiskey problem on the whole, and as the market becomes bigger and like 
the, the entire market, the, the whiskey market as a whole, is becoming bigger. There's no doubt about that. I think we're, we're predicted to, it's predicted so to like, I don't know, something like 90, 90 billion or something in the next few years. Um, that as it becomes bigger, more people are going to be interested. There's going to be less bottles for everybody to go around. And this is going to be, it's going to be a fact of life because as brands, brands are trying to, um, I think brands are trying to, to limit this through different methods of selling online and lotteries and whatnot, but it is very, very difficult. Jones, I'm really enjoying Devil's Advocating with you. Uh, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, and uh, Robert in the comments is, uh, has a lot of, you know, he's writing in from Sweden, a lot of, a lot of comments about Sweden. Um, I remember one of the first uh, market-specific releases I saw back in probably 2014 was uh, Teeling's Small Batch. That was uh, made for Sweden. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was for uh, Monopoly in Sweden. Uh, yeah. That was, uh, the Teeling's Strong Batch, which was, uh, I think, a cast-strength version of their Small Batch for the Swedish market. Now, Robert would tell me now that if I'm wrong, but... Um, well, like man, yeah. I, I remember seeing a friend's, um, what was it, a friend's of Irish whiskey bottle for, I think maybe Sweden or Finland or something, and it was a Middleton um, from, you know, 2003 or something, and this was long before anybody was doing special releases of whiskey or anything, you know what I mean, so that has been happening the whole time, but there just hasn't been the interest and people didn't know about it, um, yeah. and I think with social media and stuff as well, with the internet, uh, you know, and with, with just how interconnected everybody is right now, uh, I, I think that's that's just it's it was just going to be a natural part of things, you know. Um, well, that's it, yeah. And, it, yeah. and you'll find you'll find a lot of the very like famous Irish whiskies now, the single malts uh, that are winning the likes of world's best whiskey or uh, receiving the act, you know, the price points that are the four thousand, five thousand, six thousand asking prices. Maybe not getting prices, but asking prices. Yeah. Tend to be a 1991 disc that you know comes out of the likes of Bush Mills, um, or or an equivalent distillery in the north. Um, but you'll find a lot of you'll find a lot of uh, independent bottlers in Europe uh, through the last two decades have exactly that distillate and have fantastic uh, tasting independent bottles of that up to you know quite old ages. And you and again, it's it was when the market didn't have a prime place for single single cask releases or or private you know expressions like that. Even when the Irish Whiskey Society did the Marabone Lane release, you know a, a heavy pot still throwback to 1916 distillate in 2016. That was still kind of a novelty at that point. And at that point, it wasn't even a single cask; it was a half cask. <laughs> Matt, Matt I, I remember I was part of the Cork Whiskey Society at that stage and it, well it wasn't the Cork Whiskey Society I think it was the Irish Whiskey Society Cork chapter and you know then it became the Provisional uh, Whiskey Society and then it became the Cork Whiskey Society um, but it the I remember being, well, I genuinely remember being in a, at a tasting one night and they were like oh we have this like Irish Whiskey um, Society exclusive and I've probably only been drinking whiskey for a year year and a half two years maybe at that point and uh we have this Irish Whiskey Society exclusive. It's Marbone Lane. We've picked it out. It's this, it's that, it's blah. And I was like, oh, whatever it was. Was it 80, 100 quid, something like that? And I was like, oh, too expensive. It was 125. 120, yeah. That sounds about right because I went, oh, a bit pricey, a bit too expensive for me. Um, and whereas if that was now, people would be taking the hand off you, you know? Yeah. Um, so look, it's the market. We've come a long way in terms of sales. Like you, you think about Irish Whiskey sales, I think, Look, I, I know the Jemison figures off the top of my head. So Jemison sold about 500,000 cases in 1996. And like, like we are saying last year, they sold 8 million. So look, it's just it's just going to bring people in. And as the market gets bigger, we're kind of, you know, and we have, what do we have now? We have maybe 10 inaugural releases that have come out from the new distilleries, mm -hmm. 12 maybe. Um, so there's about another 28 to go. So it's going to be very interesting to see well, genuinely, it's going to be very interesting to see like how different distilleries are going to price their their three year old distillate, and that's what it is. It's it's three year old distillate. It's three year old. It's their first run, which is super cool, great, but it's three year old distillate. Yeah. Um, and people, some people are going to gamble. 
and they're going to buy that and they're going to go and think they're going to make their fortune off it. And the majority of those bottles will not be open. And this is the problem. I see Brendan, Brendan uh, talking about in the, in the comments there, flippers will be cro- prosecuted. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of the least favorite things for distilleries because they don't, they want, if you're making a whiskey, you want to see it opened. But the commercial realities are that if you bring out a, an inaugural release and it's 300 quid, they probably still sell it out. Like, and that's, that's a problem as well in and of itself that you're starting off on the wrong foot with consumers too, aren't you? Well, that's, that's a very good point as well. You know, you have to find that sweet spot. And, and it's funny as well, you know, I was having a conversation this morning that, you know, the Dingle Batch 1 single malt at whatever it was, 46%, um, was a three-year-old single malt. Um, and, and people at the time bemoaned the three-year-old single malt in the first release. And yeah, okay, fine. It's a three-year-old single malt and, and you're, it was in bourbon, I think. Um, and okay, fine. You, you bemoan that. Uh, but if you have a closed bottle of that, what are you what are you looking at then now at the moment on the auction markets? A thousand oh, for, for a dingle, dingle batch one, yeah. Uh, I think it's fluctuated a little bit, but um, yeah, you're probably talking the, the high hundreds anyway. Um, if if not yeah. over a grand anyway, you know. Um, and and that's what you're 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 looking at as a, as as a you know a first batch and and people so distilleries and people need to look as well. Like, whether or not you want your because there's there's a weird thing that if you sell it at an affordable price and people can get excited and flip it, you become an exciting distillery. But if you sell it at the price where you make the margin that everyone would have flipped at, you might sell it in a while, but you might not get it as exciting. And you know, there's, there's an opportunity cost there as well. And I think the opportunity cost is in. And I, we've seen it, look, not going to mention any distillers specifically or any, anyone, but like, I think we've seen it that there are a few distillers coming out who are going to charge much, much higher prices. And I think, to be honest with you, it starts people off on the wrong foot and it doesn't necessarily engender um, the the type of people who are going to be buying your whiskey to, to like you, you know, um, or to, to, to be on your side from the start. Like, you know, I think there is there is something in being, in being seen uh, as uh, a kind of a, almost affordable or a value where you're not you're not um taking hand with people but at the same time like the distillery or the company have no uh onus to us as a community to make things affordable like because but genuinely like if, if i'm if i'm looking at it i'm from a pure numbers point of view and they're saying i've spent 10 million on this distillery i need to earn this 10 million back if i charge 500 euro for each of these bottles i've been going to get it probably you know, so does that make things a lot quicker? Yes, it does. So look, from a purely economic perspective, I don't blame them. From a category perspective and from a brand equity perspective, I don't think it's a clever move. But I, I, I don't want to disagree on it. And there's probably a reason oh, for that. I don't either. Um, we're, we're running towards the end very quickly, Michael. Um, but I'm going to drop one on you and see what your thoughts are. All right. Well, I think we'll... <laughs> Michael's silence speaks speaks words. Um, but I, I think that it is uh, probably about time to let people go because I know there's a lot, and there's a lot of people who are actually uh, messaging me here on the side as well. There's a number of people who are um, driving home uh, watching this as well from respective jobs, and people I know at least uh, kind of Ryan. Is driving from Dundalk to Kinsale at the moment. So Dundalk. I don't know. Yeah. Do, do, do it properly. Dundalk. 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 Yeah. Um, you, you have to speak like there's a couple of marbles in the back of your mouth. Like, you know what I mean? Dundalk. You know? In, in fairness, I work in, in, in what I would call uh, Drahada. Uh, and when. Drahada. Exactly. It was funny because when I first got the job, uh, my uncle uh, is spent half his life in Drahada. Drahada. And he was like, no, you're not going to fit in. I was like, why not? And he was like, it's not Drahada. You sound like a dub. And I'm like, I am a dub. And he was like, no, it's Drahada. Drahada. No, no, no. no. Drahada. Drahada. Yeah. But Matt, we we both know you're quite posh. So, I mean, look, once once you get out into the countryside there, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to speak like the people. I mean, I mean, you say like the people, you were an officer in the Navy. Like you weren't even yeah. 
Captain Potter. You were an officer. Yeah, like, but I got I'm from Wexford, though, pal. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Wexford monster. I'm from I'm from, I'm from It was it was the most economically depressed town in 2016. You know, so. Uh, it's, nah, you've yeah. also you've also called it Wexico though, so Wexico, I mean, uh, fun, Claudie. Um, look, I, I I could go all day, but no, look, uh, I can see I can see Dave, like Dave. No, uh, just just I'm not going to address the other thing we were talking about. But look, yeah, let's let's not go into it. Sorry, no. Anyway, to everyone uh, who's joined us, uh, thank you so much. Actually, since I I dropped up. Uh, that that last message uh, and and prompted you. We've lost lots of viewers. No, I'm only joking. Um, but thank you so much for for joining in. A very big thank you to Dumbles 1808 uh, for sponsoring us, Michael. So yeah, Dumbles 1808 available in all Super Value stores now. Just ask. Um, should be hitting all off licenses and retailers now in the next few weeks. If you are an off-license or retail owner, please get in contact with your local high spirits rep and they'll be able to get it for you. Uh, but no, going forward, we should be able to see a lot more Dunvilles and a lot more Ectoville products on the shelves um, and, uh, you know, in the in the Republic going forward. So that, that's really good. Um, and just, yeah, points to note on the Dunvilles, 38 euro. Um, it's the first whiskey coming out of there that has their own distillate in it. So it has a, a proportion of the pot still in it. And there's a little proportion of, of peated malt in there as well, which gives it a nice little bit of complexity. Um, so yeah, really cool, really good. Absolutely perfect. Uh, and if anyone wants to give us a nice little like and a share before you go, I'd very much appreciate it. And of course, if you have the opportunity or you're the likes of David O'Connell in the chat who missed the first half of this uh, live stream, you can of course check it out on all of your favorite uh, podcasting apps from tomorrow. Uh, the likes, if you search Postal Radio, you'll find this Postal Live uh, the podcast there and you'll be able to listen to Michael's lyrical tunes and not see any of the comments that comes up which is exactly why I read them um, so guys thank you so much Michael to you you've been fantastic Dunville's have been a fantastic uh, sponsor and uh, to everyone in the chat joining in I can see people from the US from actually kind of the central northern uh, you know we, we had arena coming in from almost basically Canada at this point we had Central United States, we had Western United States, we had Eastern United States, we've had Belgium, we've had the Netherlands, uh, and we actually had one person dropping in from Japan as well. So from everyone there, as well as everyone in Ireland, uh, North, South, and of course the UK, thank you so much. Um, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks, guys. So as always, thank you so much and good night. Thanks, guys.